0: From the Fort Davis Mountains in West Texas, the sky actually has a decent amount of stars. It is striking and beautiful. In a region surrounded by dusty, smelly, noisy oil and gas extraction, the green, calm hills of Fort Davis are an oasis. It's home to the world-famous McDonald Observatory an astronomy research center with mega telescopes that have made important scientific discoveries. Once home to the second largest telescope in the world in the 1930s, the location was chosen because of its dark, star-soaked skies. But much has changed since 1939, the heyday of this observatory, notably Light pollution from oil and gas.
1: But see how bright the horizon is right there? Yeah. And that is light pollution. And that's the way it started at our place.
0: Sharon Wilson tells us about stargazing with her son Adam in her ranch in Wise County, Texas during the mid-2000s.
1: You know, we were really poor as far as money But we had this beautiful land and all these incredible animals. And we would, at night, on a night like this, we would drive the pickup truck out into the pasture. And I would let Adam have a Coke, which I didn't let him have very often. (laughs) And we'd cook popcorn. And I had chocolate, hot chocolate with rumple mints. (laughs)
2: rumplements yeah extra
1: hot chocolate (laughs) and uh all the horses would come and they would stick their heads over the bed you know they just wanted to be with us and the dogs would be there and the cats would come and the goats would come and we would just look at the stars and talk about the constellations and the mythology and the coyotes would be yipping but you know when when he was growing up and we didn't have a lot of money to go spend on doing things we had books and I would take a piece of construction paper and trace the constellations and use a pen a a safety pen and poke holes in it and put it up in the window so that we could familiarize, familiarize ourselves with the constellation and then we would go out at night and find that constellation.
0: Sharon didn't know it at the time But Wise County would become the birthplace of a global fracking boom. This is where George Mitchell, dubbed the father of fracking, experimented with hydraulic fracturing as a method of extracting oil and gas through horizontal drilling. They drilled on Sharon's property, ultimately ushering in a nightmare of impacts. Her air turned black, her water turned brown. However the first sign of the pain that would follow was some light in the distant horizon.
1: But then this encroachment of light pollution it just it just got bigger and bigger and bigger until all the stars were so faint. And that's when Adam wrote this essay and said they murdered the stars.
3: Let me be clear. The radical left. Have you ever heard of the radical left, Brian? You don't want to hear about it. And I know it always comes up. So let me ask you, Mr. Governor, how do you think that works in
1: Texas? No fracking, no drilling, no oil. Is that okay? We're not
2: going to ban fracking. And, and what about fracking?
3: All right, now, let, me, let, have me have, let me allow Vice President I
2: Biden to respond. I never said I oppose fracking. You said it on tape. I didn't. Show the tape. Put it on your website. I'll put it on. Put it on the website. The fact of the matter is he's flat lying. Would you flat. rule out banning fracking? I do rule out banning fracking.
1: Look, let me be clear also. I'm not, not banning fracking in
2: Pennsylvania or anywhere else.
0: Murdering stars is a good way to capture the geological, astronomical, existential climate crisis that is the Permian Basin. Simply put, West Texas will determine the fate of the world. What happens here in the next decade will reverberate throughout history. This is because the region is blessed and cursed with the Permian Basin shale. Named after the rock and fossil deposits dating back millions of years during the Permian Geological Period, the Permian Basin is a 6,000 square foot area roughly the size of Britain that sprawls through West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. It is one of the largest producing oil and gas regions in the world accounting for nearly 30% of all U.S. oil production. This is the fracking epicenter of America. It is where Donald Trump rolls up to during a 2020 election to scoop up 7 million campaign dollars from the oil and gas industry. As of early 2022, amid an ongoing climate crisis, the US Energy Information Administration calculates that the Permian produces about 5 million barrels of oil per day, more than any other shale in the United States. It also calculates that the region extracts about 18 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day. Again, emphasis on the per day Part of those statistics okay but let's put these numbers into perspective imagine enough oil to fill up a common coke can if you stack these cans end-to-end with five million barrels worth of oil your cans would extend to 206,342 miles roughly enough to circle the earth eight times So the Permian produces enough oil to circle the earth eight times every day. Unfortunately, production levels at the Permian are only projected to grow. Companies are continuing to drill, frack, and produce. According to the website and report, permianclimatebomb.org, oil production is projected to grow 50% from 2021 2030. Natural gas liquids or NGL production levels are also horrifying. Based on data analysis from Rystad Energy, Oil Change International calculates that Permian production is going to increase by 60% in the next nine years, surpassing gas liquid productions of every other country in the world. Saudi Arabia, Russia, Qatar, Canada, and United Arab Emirates. But what does this all mean for the health of communities that live on the ground? What does this mean for the planet? Well, for communities on the ground, it means increased rates of asthma, respiratory illness, birth defects, and even cancers. Oil and gas production emits a type of pollution called volatile organic compounds or VOCs. These include benzene, toluene, formaldehyde, and other ozone precursors which have serious health impacts for those on the ground. Let's look at emission levels of some towns at the heart of the Permian Basin, Midland and Odessa, Texas. According to the Texas government's own measurements, The Midland-Odessa area is responsible for more VOC emissions than Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston combined. Now, anyone from Texas can immediately understand how outrageous this sounds. But for context, Midland-Odessa's population is about 348,000. The population of DFW and Houston are collectively about 10 million people. And Houston has its own share of extreme VOC emissions, being home to some of the worst refineries in the U.S. But communities in the Permian are not the polluters. We are being polluted by a Wall Street funded fossil fuel machine. Every barrel of oil produced, every cubic foot of gas fracked means pollution for those of us in the region. But how... Do Permian oil and gas production levels affect the climate, the world? In a single word, methane. 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 methane is a greenhouse gas about 86 times more powerful at warming the climate than carbon dioxide. It is a byproduct of oil and gas production. And the Permian studies estimate that as much as 3.7% of gas production is being vented, released into the atmosphere. This amount of methane is the equivalent of filling up the Atlantic Ocean every 55 days. It is no surprise that scientists using satellites from space can spot gargantuan clouds of greenhouse gases hovering over the Permian. The equivalent of 1.7 million metric tons. Permian has been called the home of the first rodeo, but it's also the heart of American oil country, the epicenter of fracking, the global climate bomb, and methane land. Yes, it is a network of small towns, but it is also a powerhouse holding up the fossil fuel industry on its shoulders. So what can be done about this giant? How can we dismantle this climate catastrophe and protect the boom-and-bust towns caught in the crosshairs. Well, there's no silver bullet, victory will require a mass movement and a variety of tactics. It will require thousands and millions of us to stand up and pressure politicians and corporations to stop producing fossil fuels and transition to clean, renewable energy. It will require exposing oil and gas industry for their climate-destroying processes of extracting oil and gas from the ground. And exposing the oil and gas industry, specifically the Texas Permian shale, will be the focus of this show. Our podcast series will walk you through the mission of a group of activists with the environmental organization Earthworks. So I present to you my colleagues at the Texas team.
1: I'm Sharon Wilson, and I'm Senior Field Advocate for Earthworks.
0: Sharon Wilson is a seasoned fossil fuel hellraiser, a frontline fighter, and a certified optical gas imaging thermographer who has been sued twice unsuccessfully by the oil and gas industry and who has been personally blocked by Exxon on Twitter.
2: Hi, I'm Jack McDonald. I'm Texas Field Analyst for Earthworks.
0: Jack McDonald. 19 years old, is a research extraordinaire and flaring expert who has publicly sparred with Texas state environmental agencies about their flawed flaring data. Jack won every time. Yeah. Okay, I'm next. (laughs) All right. Uh, My name is Miguel Escoto. I am West Texas field associate with Earthworks. We arrived to Methane Land on March of 2021. At Earthworks, we go directly into the oil fields to document emissions from oil and gas sites using optical gas imaging technology. This is a camera which allows you to see greenhouse gases and VOC pollution which would otherwise be invisible. It's a technology used by government regulators and the industry themselves. Armed with this camera, we visit oil and gas sites. We park near the side of public roads And point the OGI technology at flares, tanks, compressor stations, gas plants, and pipelines in the field to see if we can detect methane and VOC emissions.
1: You can see the little fake hatch right there. Is it it this
0: one? I don't know. I can't tell. Oh, but it is a. The One, two, yeah, right here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's it.
1: The tank's at the back. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to look down low and then look past the flare.
0: High sensitivity mode? I've
1: got it in high sensitivity. You can put in it in whatever you want. I mean, I'd say do it both. You can change the color palettes or whatever you want. That's crazy.
0: Just need to take a picture of the sign. And uh,
1: yeah, and the the whole site from here, because I yeah. didn't get it. Did you get one from here? I took here? many from here. Thank you.
0: So can you tell us really briefly what we're seeing here at this Primex site?
1: It's a really dirty flare. It's putting out a lot of pollution. It's not combusting the uh, emissions like it should be. Is
0: there a car coming up the road right now? What's I think in at uh, behind you all. Yeah. That was the same guy, huh? We're currently pulled off to the shoulder of the road, of this public road next to the Primex site. There is the same red truck that was harassing us. This red truck is now pulling up to where Sharon is and is taking video of what we're doing. What we're doing is totally legal
2: yeah so we were out here on this this is like a fully paved painted county road and um a primex employee came out followed us in his pickup truck pulled off the road and came over to us and told us we needed to leave and i was going back and forth with him, saying like this is a this is like a public road like your site is visible from a public road so there's no presumption of privacy and he started talking and just like I, I will try to relay what he said, but it's actually like hard to explain because I didn't fully understand what his point was. He started talking about Earthworks and the economy and OGI being nonsense and all this stuff. And eventually I was just like, it's a public road. He said, yeah, but and his ultimate like legal argument for why we needed to leave was you cannot take photos from a public road unless you were hired to do so. And because Earthworks is a nonprofit, somehow in his mind that meant we couldn't be taking video we're basically like sure drove down the road took photos at another site he followed us continued harassing us um until ultimately he just pulled off when sharon showed that she was recording
0: <laughs> sharon i you you intimidated him quite a bit because he seemed flustered after after he spoke with you and and the reporter from scientific american so what What did you, what did you do? How did you get him to stop harassing us?
1: I think he didn't want me to take a video of him. Right. And acting like a fool. (laughs) (laughs) And trying to threaten us and to get us to leave. So, uh, basically, that's it. You know, he put his hand in front of my camera and actually touched my lens, which um, wasn't at all cool. Right. He was very agitated.
2: The irony of the whole thing is when, she, when he confronted Sharon, we weren't even at a Primex site. <laughs> he was a Primex employee trying to protect another operator's site.
0: <laughs> Polluter solidarity. Yep. Apparently.
2: <laughs> so
1: they're only permitted to release a certain amount, but no one ever checks to see how much they're releasing. When I first stopped, it was a lot. Now it's just... If you move this, okay, if you move this a little bit and you can see better how much it is, but the wind has changed and... Can't seem to keep their flares lit. They can't operate, look, look at that. That's black carbon is very damaging to the climate. They can't keep them lit, they can't operate them properly. They can't stop the emissions from the tanks. They really suck at doing this. They suck. They need to stop.
0: Finding blasting methane emissions at these sites is the usual, not the exception. Although the media usually describes these sorts of emission events at the oil fields as methane, quote-unquote, leaks, the more accurate term is methane releases, The pollution we see is part of the industry's intentional releases of emissions to maximize profits and productivity. It looks more like a blasting fire hose than a dripping faucet. When we capture pollution events, we submit official complaints to the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, the TCEQ. This is the state's environmental agency tasked with regulating oil and gas. While most of the pollution we detect is technically a violation, industry has a menu of loopholes they can call upon to justify their pollution. The TCEQ is legally obligated to review the video complaints we submit. However, many times we find that their quote-unquote investigations consists of nothing more than the government emailing the company a survey to fill out.
1: We have two agencies that permit oil and gas. And the Railroad Commission permits the drilling and flaring, and the TCEQ permits the pollution. But it's not, it's ridiculous because the industry doesn't get permits and nobody knows unless we earthworks catch them and we do catch them Mm -hmm. but to get a permit if you want to get the lowest level of permit which is a permit by rule you have to you have to list the equipment you're going to have on the site well the equipment is the manufacturer wants to To market their equipment as a low emissions equipment. So they calculate what their piece of equipment is going to emit. No one measures that to see that it's that it's really accurate. Then the industry hires a petroleum engineer and says I want to have this site and I want this equipment on it and the petroleum engineer makes that the calculations fit within the permit levels whatever it takes they they calculate it so that it works
0: whatever it takes
1: and no one actually ever measures any of the emissions to see if the industry is staying within their emission limits there are so many ways That the regulatory agency does not keep up with the permits. They need to just stop. They need to stop permitting. Period.
2: So, I've been spending a lot of time digging into what's referred to as an H-9. It's governed by Rule 36 of the Railroad Commission, which I know just sounds like number salad. Uh, Rule 36 is basically the guideline by the Railroad Commission that governs sour gas, which that's any gas that contains above, I believe it's 100 parts per million, hydrogen sulfide. And hydrogen sulfide is a really nasty, nasty poisonous gas. It can kill people, it can cause all kinds of problems, uh, like short-term exposure and high concentrations can cause nerve damage. And basically what's supposed to happen is not every well actually produces sour gas. Some produce what's called sweet gas, there's no hydrogen sulfide. But all of the wells that produce sour gas are supposed to test their wells to see how much sour gas they're producing. For instance, some wells, it might be 100, 200, 300, wherever it lands based on that testing, they then get put into different regulatory categories. Like you may need to have an extra compliance plan or an emergency alarm system based on how high your hydrogen sulfide concentration is coming out of your well. And what I found going through a series of different operators and looking at the H9, which is the actual form via which that test is submitted, Um, is that massive chunks of operators just fail to submit those H9s. Like operators, sometimes 40% or more of their wells just do not have an H9 at all. Mm. And that's really concerning to see such a dangerous gas being totally disregarded.
1: And so thinking about that, it is a voluntarily submitted information the regulatory agency does not go out and check these wells to see if they need a special permit to pr- to produce this deadly gas. They leave it up to the operator to admit whether or not they produce this gas. The operator knows that if they admit it, they're going to have to have more equipment and stricter regulations, so I don't know, do you admit? when you've had one too many beers and you drive home?
0: (laughs) No one would.
2: I feel like a big part of that is, it goes back to this thing of just, like, profound arrogance on the part of operators that, like, the permits that do exist are pretty lackluster. Like, I I have thoughts about the, the regulatory categories that H9s put you into. I don't think they're sufficient. But these operators are so profoundly arrogant that they don't even bother to follow the like lackluster regulations. Like going back to what Sharon was talking about how like there's so many loopholes in these permits and then seeing the number of operators who don't even bother to get a permit when they have access to all those loopholes is just
0: crazy. It is exceedingly rare for the TCEQ to issue a notice of violation to oil and gas companies because of the extensive range of loopholes that industry benefits from. According to a study by Environment Texas Less than 3% of emissions violations drew any penalties from TCEQ or the state of Texas. A slap on the wrist considering the millions in profits of these companies. Episode 2 and 3 of this podcast will dive deeply into the permitting loophole extravaganza that is environmental policy in Texas, and the pitiful virtually non-existent levels of environmental regulation enforcement at these oil fields. While we don't trust the TCEQ to do its job, documenting oil field pollution and submitting these complaints is nonetheless important. We're able to file public information requests from the TCEQ to learn about the extensive inadequacies of Texas state regulators. We're able to witness exactly how captured the state government is by these oil and gas industries. Plus, visualizing oil field pollution with your own eyes is powerful. We use these images of methane blasting into the atmosphere to warn the public about fracking, to mobilize advocates, and to support fence line communities dealing with this pollution. One example of fence line communities impacted by oil and gas expansion is Jim and Sue Franklin. Where we're standing on right now, why is that so important? This is
1: where Sue and Jim Franklin used to live.
0: So Jim and Sue Franklin were about how many feet away from this Primex site that we see here?
1: They didn't drill that one until they bought uh, Jim and Sue out, but they drilled this one. And I would say it's not even maybe is it a little more than a football field I don't know maybe at the most 200 yards at the most from from their house
0: did the Franklin's feel any health impacts any oh yeah they
1: were they got very sick they felt health impacts with that first well down there and then from the one on the the ones on the other side, and then they put this one right across the street. So they had a lot of health impacts, and Sue was very sick. Had to actually move to town and live to town in town, and Jim stayed out here.
0: On our trip, we visit Sue Franklin at the Davis Mountain Rock Shop in Fort Davis, Texas.
3: Sue knows everything about rocks. This is citrine, and it is just a sort of a quartz crystal and it gets a a yellowish color in it instead of the purple. This here is also a citrine. I haven't seen anything of what the one on my property is emitting now, but it's uh, because I haven't been with her, I mean it's been a long time since we've seen each other. (laughs) I started getting really ill, um, having problems breathing. Yeah, and uh, I kept going to the doctor and he kind of told me because I told him I was living in there that um, I I was having problem, a little problem, feeling like I couldn't quite breathe right and he told me, it, it just take an uh, allergy pill. No. And then I went back and I told him, you know, I don't know what asthma feels like but sometimes I just feel I can't get a breath in and he told me, he's, at that point he put me on a, it's called Montecou mm-hmm. and it's I don't know exactly what it does but it helps clear your lungs so you can breathe oh I had nothing before that I had nothing before that I always was fine as far as breathing wow. uh, no allergies no and the other thing is the headaches oh. that caused severe headaches for both me and my husband it just... In the morning, we would wake up and we just couldn't function. We'd want to just crawl back in bed and just lay in it. Oh my God. But we would usually get ourselves up and out as quick as we could and yeah. leave. And then half the time, you're laying there and you're smelling your house, but when you open the door and it hits you in the face, it was like, oh. we are run. <laughs> Drastic to me, she took me to that one site that was just a, a pump station and they had big tanks sitting mm-hmm. there, and she got out and took a picture of it, and there was this huge cloud coming from just those tanks that's not the wells or anything that was going straight to Belmaray. Yeah. It was blowing right over on the town, and it's like they think they have it all in their own area. It's all controlled, but none of it's controlled. My husband is home in bed right now. He's, he's having difficulties with his back. He's he's having back pain, and he uh, Wednesday morning we're going to Odessa for injections in his back. So he's he's been doing bad. I've been I told him today he was sitting at his had his uh, desk back there, and he kept falling asleep. And I just finally told him go home, <laughs> just go home. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he slept all afternoon. So I don't know. Their health
1: has not recovered. No, it since never they will. Moved, since they moved here and they got out of it, their health has not recovered. No. And It never
3: will. It never will. My breathing has not recovered. I take the medication every day. Right. It's, been a, it's been a rough battle for us, very rough battle. We'll, we'll never quite recover. We're happy where we're at now, and we have this little store up here away from it. I never have to go, unless I have to go to Odessa then I have to go into the smell again. And when you go down in the daylight, when you go over the hill, yeah. Wild Rose Pass, and you just just come up over that hill and you see that brown haze hanging over the whole valley, it just makes you not want to go. <laughs>
0: So after about a week of fieldwork, I sat down with Sharon and Jack to debrief on what we witnessed. What were your general reactions from what we saw?
1: Well, in the face of rapidly accelerating climate change, it's hard to fathom what's happening, and it's hard to feel hopeful that we'll be able to stop it in time, but it also makes me very angry. And um, that's a better action emotion for me. (laughs) And, you know, it's the same thing that I witnessed when I worked for the oil and gas industry, Mm -hmm. the intense, outrageous arrogance and entitlement that they have, that um, it's, it's psychopathic.
2: Jack? Yeah, I mean, like, it was, it was crazy. This was my first time actually being out in the field and finally being able to kind of put faces to names in terms of seeing some of these sites and understanding like these crazy like chains of emission events and complaints and emission events and complaints and then nothing happens and the site looks exactly the same as it did last time with the same issues that kind of stuff is just crazy to me to watch these sites that like it, just see these sites not really improve. Like to go out there and see sites that I know for a fact we've made complaints on in the past and nothing changes. That's just so profoundly depressing to see that the government really doesn't seem to care.
0: One of the things that really impacted me this time around that I had in, on the other, in my other previous. Field trips is how normalized everything is and how there's almost like a rhythm to everything and how the city of Pecos and all of the oil and gas workers that go visit sites while we're taking photos and it can get... It, if you look at it from a certain angle, it's even boring what we're seeing, right? These ugly pieces of machinery that are miles and miles apart across a flat barren desert it kind of looks boring but if if you add that context of what those emissions mean to the world it, it isn't boring it's actually extremely infuriating so yeah that was that was one of my reactions just like how it can how business as usual everything was even when I mean we have a new president, right? Yeah. There's a new government. Trump is no longer there. But there was virtually no change. And the way I saw it, what what do you think? No change. Sharon? No change. You were here, you've you've known this better.
1: There there's no change and um it's worse, they're wrapping up ramping up again and the thing that's so discouraging is we can't even physically document, and make complaints on everything we see. We have to do triage and decide what is the worst and, and just ignore the rest because there's, we just physically cannot cover it all.
0: I also asked them what this ground we stood on means to the world. What is the importance of the Permian?
1: Well, I guess the, the importance of the Permian Basin depends on who you are uh, to the oil and gas industry. They think it's money um, and they tell they justify what they do by saying, talking about the in- economy. To me, it's something that has to be stopped. It has to be stopped immediately because there will not be a livable planet for the future if the Permian Basin continues at the rate that they have planned, there won't be a livable future.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's almost almost a pretty objective question in terms of what does it mean to, like, the oil and gas economy. Like, it's such a big part of that industry. And, like Sharon said, like, if you're the oil and gas industry, you view it as a big cash cow. If you're someone concerned about the climate, then it's a massive concern, and it needs to be Stopped.
0: Next, we discuss what we think about Texas's policy on methane in the oil fields. More accurately, we react to the fact that Texas refuses to even count methane.
1: Texas does not regulate methane. They don't care about methane. They have vowed to never rec- regulate methane. So when an oil and gas operator... Uh, submits their emission uh, emissions for an emission event or their emissions calculation for the year right that does not include methane they get to subtract methane from that calculation that's that is actually that is criminal at this point where we are in climate change, it is so ignorant and backward and it's just criminal and the reason that it happens is because the oil and gas industry showers our government with money and their ears are so stuffed with oil and gas money that they can't listen to logic, reason or science.
0: I agree. I agree 100% with that Sharon and I think it demonstrates how radically unjust TCEQ is, and it's the perfect example of how of the overhauling, transformational shift that needs to happen in the state government. Like we don't have to point to anything else, but we will, and we do.
2: Yeah. I think one of the other interesting angles in this is like if you take na- like the natural gas oil industry at their word that natural gas is this like amazing bridge fuel it's going to be the thing that solves everything it's the perfect energy source then even then it becomes hard to justify the fact that methane isn't regulated because we're basically dumping a at least ostensibly valuable natural resource straight into the atmosphere like i think we should not be like extracting and using oil and gas but if we're going to extract it we may as well actually use it Like EDF has data that says that Texas actually flares off more natural gas than the entire state consumes in a year. And that kind of data is just insane to me that this ostensibly valuable resource is just jettisoned into the air for virtually no reason and the government doesn't do anything to stop it.
1: this is such a precious, precious part of Texas, it's the best Texas has to offer. This area down through Marfa and the Big Bend is so beautiful. It's the crown jewel, well from Balmaray <laughs> to here to Marfa to Big Bend and all in there Marathon and all those areas so beautiful. When I started working out here for the Permian Basin was in 2016 Mm -hmm. and you could see the mountains Mm. pretty vividly and you saw how it was today. It's covered in uh, smog. Right, right. And that's from all the particulate matter and Mm -hmm. the ozone and um, all the pollution is creating smog that obscures the mountains and you can see it hanging in these little pockets in the mountains right
0: right
2: that was one of the things that I noticed being down in Pecos the like it doesn't feel like the air quality there is bad like you know it is intellectually but it doesn't feel like it until you start looking at something like the mountains where you can just see this just like haze of smog over everything Or
1: until you walk out of your hotel and you smell the hydrocarbons. When the wind
2: changes, yeah, and then you just like, it hits you like a brick.
0: Well, that's it for right now, but later in this series, we will highlight some stories of frontline community members resisting pollution. We will explore the radioactive wastewater crisis that fracking imposes on the region. We will do a deep dive into the permitting and enforcement corruption process of the Texas state government. And we'll sit down with experts to discuss how a transition to clean renewable energy can be a job creator for the region, and how it can actually benefit workers currently stuck in the oil and gas sector. Until next time, stay outraged. since you said that phrase they murdered the stars like I haven't stopped thinking about it
1: yeah that's not all they murdered <laughs> 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 oh lord they murdered my water too <laughs>